Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. Great morning of worship. Get your Bible out. Turn with me to Genesis 40. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, um, do me a favor, take that one with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, and especially if you'll uh, read it on a regular basis, it will change you. And so get your Bible out, take some notes with me. I, uh, I, I don't know about you guys, I, would, uh, I personally would rather watch a movie a second or third time that I know I like than watch a movie that I hate, right? And every time I watch a movie that I get done watching and I hated it, I was like, man, I wish I could get those two hours of my life back, right? And uh, have you ever watched a movie that... Um, like someone recommends, or like, this is great, and you're anticipating it being great, and about an hour and a half in, you're like, when does this get good, you know, kind of thing, and so I hate that. Uh, but because I tend to watch the same movies over and over and over, there's particular lines that stick in my head, and I say them at times where people are like, what are you talking about, okay? Like, it's just awkward moments with Pastor Sean is what we call that. And so, uh, and so I'll give you one of them. Like, um, uh, like when it, pastors sometimes debate really weird theological things, right? So if you're sitting around with a group of pastors and they start talking about the lapsarian debate, you're like, what? Ryan, you probably know that, right? And uh, so the lapsarian debate, and you're like, what? And so, and so in the middle of these really weird theological arguments, not weird, just dumb, right? Waste of time and weird theological arguments. I'll, I'll throw this line out. The human head weighs eight pounds. Anybody know what movie that comes from? Jerry Maguire, right? Where Jerry Maguire's debating with a little boy in the back of the car, and they're debating useless facts. And so, or if I'm working on something and I can't fix it, which is most of the time I'm working on something. And so, uh, so I'm working on something, I can't fix it, and I will yell out, Tony Stark built this in a cave. <laughs> I don't know, anyway. So, it's, but you guys know some movie lines, right? I mean, look, here, give me the movie, right? You can't handle the truth. A few good men, all right. 1.21 gigawatts. Back to the future, good. Dory, you can't speak whale. Uh, Huh? Nemo. All right, Finding it. See, these are, these are my favorite movies. Sometimes I'll grab my daughter and I'll be like, you want to watch Finding Nemo again? And so, uh, and I have that movie like memorized. All right, here's one. This is a, fa- a Brown family favorite. It's probably going to get me fired. Um, and let's see if you can guess it. Here we go. It's actually three lines from a movie. And here, it starts with a question. What if you hate the way he picks his nose and eats it? Excuse me, sir, he's a prince. All men do it. It's frozen. Y'all are letting your four-year-olds watch that movie, so don't judge me, okay? So, so you know, when you, when you have a house full of boys, we're like, all men do it. So there you go. Uh, but uh, now, what does that have to do with this Bible verse? All right, here we go. Um, I love Genesis chapter 37 to 50, the story of Joseph. It's, it's, for me, it's like an old movie, man. I could watch it over. And it's, I've read it many times. I hope you're reading it. If you're not, really, you should pick it up and read it. It's a phenomenal story. There's a lot of great truths. There's some great lines in the story that you'll remember. They'll encourage you spiritually. And uh, man, I love the story of Joseph. And so this morning, we're going to park in chapter 40 and 41. And last week, Pastor Andrew just did a, he did a great 
great job handling the first section of the story of Joseph. In fact, he, for me, it was an aha moment. If you've ever read through Joseph and the story, chapter 38 is this chapter that kind of sits there and you're like, what is chapter 38 doing? You know, Judah and, and all this sin around the life of Judah. And Pastor Andrew did a great job for me of juxtaposing Joseph with Judah and how Joseph was a godly man and he was comparing it to Judah, the ungodly man. So it was fantastic. You need to listen to that if you missed it. This morning, we're going to park in chapter 40. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the, the overview of 40. I'm going to pull out a point. Okay, and then we're going to go to 41. I'm going to give you the overview of 41 and pull out a couple points. All right. So here we go. Chapter 40. You know the story, right? Joseph is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He ends up in jail. While he's in prison, he rises in power in the prison house. The prison guard, the leader of the prison guard puts him in charge, essentially. And and in chapter 40, while he's in prison, one day, the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh get thrown into prison. We're not told why. For some reason, Pharaoh got frustrated with them, throws them into prison. While they're in prison, they have dreams. They dream in the middle of the night. And one of the things we know about Joseph is uh, he has dreams and he has the ability by God's grace to interpret dreams. And so the cupbearer has a dream and he tells Joseph his dream and Joseph interprets the dream to him. Now, yet one of the things you have to know about the cupbearer in particular is the cupbearer was responsible to keep Pharaoh or a king in olden days safe. And so they would often taste the food. They make sure the food wasn't poison. They would make sure that when uh, Pharaoh was, you know, in his private moments that he was safe and he was protected. So the cupbearer always had an intimate, close relationship with the king. It was someone that the king trusted. So for him to be in jail is a big deal. And so he has this dream. He tells the dream to Joseph and Joseph goes, oh, that's easy. In three days, you're going to be reinstated to your position. You're going to uh, once again be the cupbearer for Pharaoh. And so the cupbearer, of course, is thrilled. I mean, you can imagine here he's in jail and he's thinking, man, this is fantastic. That's great. Great news. And so Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, when you get back to Pharaoh, don't forget me. You know, let him know I'm here. I'm a Hebrew. I've been sent down here. I ended up in jail. Have, just bring him, bring me to Pharaoh's attention. Of course, as the story unfolds, you realize he forgets, right? And here Joseph remains in jail. So the baker, the chief baker of Pharaoh, hears this positive interpreted dream. And so he goes to Joseph, he goes, you're not going to believe us. I had a dream last night. So he tells him a dream and, and Joseph's like, well, some ways similar in three days, you're going to be dead. Okay. So, uh, and so it didn't get quite the uh, same result. And so uh, Joseph's dream, uh, interprets his dreams, they come to fruition. Number one, point number one, I want to tell out of chapter 40, Joseph is not forgotten. Okay. Joseph is not forgotten. There's someone here this morning that feels forgotten. There's someone here this morning that feels forgotten. Loneliness is a real thing. And so in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, it says this, as yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Uh, Joseph's alone in this prison, but he's not forgotten. Now, the cupbearer forgot him. People around him forgot him. But, but, of course, we know the end of the story. God had not forgotten Joseph. And some of you are here this morning, man, and you're battling loneliness. You're, you're struggling with, man, does God even know? Are there purposes for me? What is going on? And, it, and, and loneliness is a real thing. We see loneliness in the Garden of Eden even before their sin 
Adam was given the task of naming all the animals. This was before Eve was created, right? And so he names all the animals. Why did God give him that task? I think so that when he got to the end of it, he really goes, man, there is no one, literally no one on earth like me, right? I could preach a whole dating message on how, you know, be patient on the Lord and how God brought Adam, Eve, and and I could preach a whole dating message and have, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But loneliness is a real thing. And here's Joseph. He's two more years in jail, and he's in a strange country in a strange language with strange uh, customs, and and he, he could feel very much alone. And we live in a world where this, it happens and people will forget you. But I want to encourage you, the God of the universe never forgets us. Isn't that great news? Matthew chapter 10, Jesus reminded us this, right? He said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Verse 30, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value. You have more value than many, many sparrows. What's Jesus saying, man? Our Heavenly Father knows, he, he's, he knows us. He's numbered the hairs of our head. I mean, if you can imagine that kind of intimacy. Now, for some of you, that's, that's a depreciating asset. You know, each day that gets a little less, but even the Lord knows the head count, the hair count, all right? And, uh, and so that's really good news. And so maybe you're here today and you're battling loneliness. Maybe you feel forgotten. And man, how do, how do I know the Lord knows? Well, I'm going to give you some really, really practical tools, all right? The first one is, is Christian community. Man, there is something to Christian community, a church community, that, that God, it's a tool that God has given us to, to battle loneliness. You know, maybe you're here today and and you're married and you're lonely in your marriage. That's a real thing. Maybe you're here today and you're single, right? And actually, the Apostle Paul talks of heightened singleness as an opportunity to, to do more for the kingdom of God. But, but being single, man, you're, you're still one of the challenges of being single is loneliness. And that's where the church should make up the difference. Listen, at Coastal, we, we highlight frequently be in a small group. You have to be in a small group. You have to be in a small group. I just, I just met someone this morning, came up to me and, like, man, we just got plugged back into a small group. It was awesome. And I was so thrilled because. Uh, if you are not in a small group, there will come a time where you need community and, and it won't be there. And I can assure you, I, I probably, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating with this number, probably 90% of the counseling appointments that, where people come to me, and like, I got to go see the pastor, and they come to me, probably 90% of them, one of the first questions I'll ask in that appointment is, what small group are you in? And 90% of the time, I'm, I'm not in a small group. And I'm like, well, here's the first thing I'm going to give you. you. For me to meet with you again, you have to be in a small group. And I'll go get the small group booklet and say, pick one and, and be in Christian community and, and develop that kind of relationship. That is a very real tool. It's not something that the, the leadership of Coastal kind of pulled out of a hat to put on your calendar, right? Christian community is a way that God, there's so many things that God does through Christian community, but, but one of them is to battle loneliness, to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul says, we have to bear one another's burdens and 
so fulfill the law of Christ. And you can't do that in a row facing forward with hundreds and hundreds of people. This is our corporate worship. It's a part of our spiritual journey, but it's not everything. You have to be in small group with other believers. Listen, we have three more weeks of the Genesis series. It is not too late to join a small group. Go out on the way out to the involvement gallery and get the small group booklet and join and get, surround yourself with other believers. Secondly, we can, when you're battling loneliness, we can pray. Our Father is always with us. We can always enter in. Listen, the God of the universe cares for you. Isn't that amazing? If he knows about every sparrow, and listen, I just had a bunch of them poop all over my car this week, all right? So if he cares about all of them, man, he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I've been... Some of you are probably with me. I've been reading through, through Leviticus. Yes, so exciting. Listen, I am falling in love with Leviticus. You know the sermon series is coming, right? So y'all just better buckle up. Uh, but I've been reading through Leviticus, and one of the things that just sticks out to me, is, and I think God is preparing the nation of Israel with this understanding of what it means to be separated, what it means that he's holy, and that you don't just get to enter into the presence of God any way you can. In fact, I don't think you can even understand your need for the gospel until you first understand how holy God is. And so there's all these rules and regulations about entering into his holy presence. And one of the things that's new about the new covenant is that Christ has torn the temple veil in two. And now, because he's our high priest, we, anytime we want, get to enter into the holy presence of God in the name of Jesus and cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Isn't that great news? And so make prayer a regular part of your disciplines because God cares for you. The third one, help battle loneliness, is regular Bible intake, right? If the only bit of the Word of God you're getting is on Sunday morning, man, that's just not enough. We have to be teaching ourselves. We have to be preaching ourselves the Word of God. How do we do that? We're in the Word of God on a regular basis. And, and just let me encourage you, like, you know, we gave you a Bible reading plan for this series, the Genesis series. It's not too late. Go pick it up. And for the next month, just be in the book of Genesis and reading. And God speaks to us through His Word. And he'll teach us and he, he helps remind us of the truths of the gospel. And so listen, Joseph is alone, but he's not forgotten. You're not, even though you may be feeling alone, you're not forgotten. The God of the universe cares for you. And he's given you some things to help battle loneliness. I've given you some handles, some tools on that. But Joseph's alone, but he is not forgotten, okay? Which leads us to chapter 41. So you know chapter 41, right? So now Joseph, he's still in prison. The cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh. And two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, right? And in his dream, he says he has his dream of seven really fatted cows that come up out of the Nile and they get eaten up by seven really skinny, gross cows, right? And then he gives a second dream. He says, stalks of grain rise up, seven of them full, plenty of, plentiful, and they get eaten up by seven uh, famished heads of grain. And so Pharaoh tells the dream to his counselors, and none of the counselors can interpret his dream. And it's at this point that the cupbearer risks, and we see that in the text, because the cupbearer has to 
gently approach Pharaoh and say, you remember that time that I made you mad? Like, we don't want to go back there, but you know, you sent me to prison. And, and he goes, there's this guy in prison that interpreted my dreams, Joseph. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph out of prison and Joseph gives glory to the Lord that the Lord has given him the gift of interpreting dreams. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he says, listen, the seven things, the seven cows, seven has a grain. There's going to be seven years of plenty here in Egypt. And then after the seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph doesn't end there. And I'm going to pull some points out there. But he, as he stands before Pharaoh, he actually then gives Pharaoh a plan. He goes, here's what I would suggest to you, Pharaoh. He comes with a plan, right? And he says, I think, you know, here's what we need to do. Like, you know, I would, during the seven years of plenty, I would take 20% of, of all that comes in and I would set it aside and prepare for the time of, of, of famine. And, and so Pharaoh's like, man, this is fantastic. And he takes this jailbird and he says, you're going to be second in charge. You're the vice president, how about that for, you know, a rise to power? And so, and so that's where Joseph ends up. And, the, and chapter 41 kind of ends with now we're just beginning to see the touches of the famine and Joseph having prepared Egypt for that. So let me pull a couple points out of chapter 41. Okay, point number one, which is out of 41, which is point number two. Joseph gives praise to God. At no point in this story do we see Joseph angered by all his years of struggle. At no point do we see an ungodly attitude. At no, at no point does Joseph play the victim. Like, man, I'm the victim. I'm too beat up. I'm too hurt by my past. At, at no point does Joseph kind of stick his finger up to heaven and say, God, well, it's about time. You know, it's about time you remembered me. He, 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 he gives praise to God. And when he stands before Pharaoh, which would have been a great time, by the way, to self-exalt, Right? Instead, what he does, he's very careful to remind Pharaoh, the only reason I can interpret your dream is because God has given me the ability. He gives all glory to God throughout this process. And we see this in Genesis 41, 16. It says, Joseph answered Pharaoh, because Pharaoh said, yeah, I heard you can interpret dreams. And what's he say? He says, it's not in me. No, I can't answer dreams. It is God in me that will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And by the way, he repeats this several times in his dialogue with Pharaoh. Man, what a perfect time to show off his gifting. What a perfect time to receive the glory. But all this time he's giving praise to God because Joseph knew this truth of 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, what does God do? God will exalt you. Which leads me perfectly into my, into my next point. It is God that is the giver of influence. Influence is the Lord's to give. The scope of the influence and impact of your life is the Lord's to give. Joseph remained faithful to the Lord where he was planted. Whatever God called him to put his hand to, he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He did it to give glory and praise to God. Now, it doesn't mean he wasn't looking and preparing if another opportunity presented himself, but he never at any time pursued the opportunity until the Lord opened the door. All he was worried about, he didn't have to manipulate or strain to try to get God to, to expand his influence or his blessing upon him, Right? Joseph trusted the Lord with the span of his influence. And so when he's in Potiphar's house, he does the right thing. 
And his influence expands. When he's in prison, he does the right thing with a spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit of worship to the Lord. And God expands his influence. And of course, we see that God exalts Joseph. But at no time did Joseph pursue influence. I think it's really important because I'm hearing a lot of Christian teaching and I'm hearing a lot of Christian songs being written about our legacy and our influence and our platform size. And I don't see it here a lot being said, hey, be faithful where you're planted. I love Hebrews chapter 11. If I had time to take you there, if you want to read it later, it's often called the Hall of Faith where the author of Hebrews lists so many of the Old Testament saints and how they were faithful to the Lord and how they exalted God in their faithfulness to the Lord. And and, and, and I love the first part, and most of us love the first part, because the first few are Old Testament saints that got rich and famous, right? And we read that and we're like, see, if you follow God, you're going to rich and famous. What we forget is the back end talks about the people that got sawn in two, okay? And, and so, like, what happens here on earth? I don't know. I don't know which of those you land in. What I do know is we're supposed to be faithful to what God has called us to steward at the time and the season that we're in. I do know that God does bless and God does fulfill all of his promises completely when we get to heaven. I'm assured of that. We get glimpses sometimes here on earth, but sometimes we don't. Our call is to be faithful and let God take care of expanding our influence when he wants to and how he wants to. Too many of us are pursuing our name. If you're worried about your influence, you're worried about your name. Listen, if you're in school right now, God has placed you there to do your very best. Study hard. Prepare well. Prepare for whatever future God may have for you. I don't know what that is. If you're in a job that you hate, but it's providing for your family, that's a good thing. I've told this story many, many times that my dad is an HVAC guy and he worked... He, you know, there's parts of his job, of course, he loved, but it was parts of it. He doesn't like cold. And so many, many times he spent a lot of time on rooftops, windy, cold rooftops, fixing air conditioning. And I, I remember asking him about it one time. And, and he said, I, I know I didn't like it because it was actually when we were help, I was helping him one day out in the cold and I was miserable. I was like, well, why can't we go sit by the fire? Um, so, and, and I said, how did you do this all those years? And he said, son, I made a promise to the Lord to take care of you and your family. This is what God gave me to do that. He was faithful where God planted him. He, thank God in, in his mid-40s, he didn't leave his job to go find himself, all right? Because we would have been hungry, all right? And so, you know, I'm just, I'm just got to find my purpose, His purpose was to be a godly husband and father and provider for his home and do what God had called him to do. Be faithful where you're planted. Listen, I stumbled across this. I've read this verse many times, but it was like an aha moment just a couple weeks ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul said this. Paul said, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence. What's it say there, church? God did what? Assigned to us. God has assigned his area of influence. It's our job 
to be faithful. And we see Joseph's faithfulness in this, by the way, because now, number four, he gets in front of Pharaoh and because he's a godly man and because he's a man of integrity, godly people are people with wisdom and they develop disciplined plans. And so Joseph has discipline. He's a godly man. His character's been developed and he comes with disciplined plans. Joseph prepares for this opportunity. He gets to meet with Pharaoh and he prepares for this opportunity. The first thing we see him preparing for this opportunity, he cleans himself up, right? Look at verse 14 of Genesis 41. It says, then Pharaoh sent and he called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. You can circle the word pit because I'm going to come back to that. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Listen, I, I know most of you never have been, but I have been. Have you ever been to court recently? Come on now. We're in church. Tell the truth. Nobody here has ever gotten a speeding ticket, right? And um, court is fascinating to me. There's times I've been at court and um, there's people that are standing before the judge and sometimes they're standing there with like serious, serious crimes in front of them. I'm not saying they were guilty or not. I don't know, but but there's a weight, some of them facing felonies. And I'm sitting here in court sometimes and I'm, I see these young men or women go before the judge and I'm like, it looks to me like you just rolled out of bed, you know, like pants on the ground, pants on the ground. Anyway, it's <laughs> like, what is happening here, you know? Listen, young people, I'm going to give, this is free advice take from Pastor Sean, um, stolen from Joseph. Okay, when you have a job interview, look like you want the job, all right? Don't, don't dress up like Pastor Sean on Sunday morning. Look better than that, okay? I mean, if Joseph could find a razor in a 3000 BC jail, like you could probably find one yourself, right? At your house. And so he prepared. I mean, it's very practical, right? He prepares for the opportunity, puts himself together. He looks nice. He also brings solutions, not problems. And that's, that is worth his weight in gold. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you all something. Don't ever go to your boss with problems. The boss knows there's problems. Go to your boss with what? Solutions, right? And I can tell you, my, the executive team at Coastal, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Joey, Bethany Lay, who uh, organizationally, the whole organization runs for them, they always come to me with solutions. Like, I don't, yeah, I get there's problems, you know. Uh, they come with solutions. Check this out. So Genesis 41, verse 32. It's, so Joseph says to Pharaoh, he says, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, so now here he comes with solutions. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land. Take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of plentiful, and then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. So the food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve in the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. So that the land may not perish through the famine. Listen, he brings wisdom and planning for the future. Isn't that great news? This is a great, this is a smart guy. And he was prepared for this moment. Joseph knows, he says, listen, the Lord has doubled the dream, so it's fixed. He knows what's coming. And he's, he's planning. 
He actually, actually Joseph positions Egypt during a time of crisis to be very wealthy. He positions Egypt. And, and I could preach a, an entire financial sermon right now, right? I'm not going to do it. There's plenty of material out there, but too many Christians have extended their means to where they don't have any financial resources for when an opportunity presents itself, they're in a position to take advantage of the opportunity. Too many of us, the, position, the opportunity resources we should have is going to interest being paid on things we shouldn't have yet. Now, I'm not going to preach that sermon today, okay? So, but Proverbs 6 says this, says, man, we can look at insects and know what I just said is true, right? Go, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider his ways and be what, church? Be wise. We can learn from ants, okay? Without having any chief or officer or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Man, we can learn wise. And so Joseph positions Egypt, and he does it with wise discipline, which, by the way, the word discipline the word discipline is in the root of the word disciple. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, the way we grow to be more like Christ requires discipline. It's in the root of disciple. As Christians, we're disciples. Amen. And as disciples, discipline. And I suspect that many of us in this room are not growing to be more like Christ because if we're honest, we're being lazy. We're not disciplining ourselves. The Apostle Paul says, I buffet my body and I make it my slave. I know some of y'all for years read that as I buffet my body. That's how I read it. <laughs> Still overcoming that. So no, I buffet my body, make it my slave. I met with somebody this week that uh, they have a really, really early morning job, and, they, they, and I've seen God really change this person. And they told me, I get up at 3.30 in the morning to have my time alone with the Lord. Like, what? Man, that's discipline. That's, that's a person who says, man, I'm, I want to feast on Christ, and I'm taking it serious. So serious that, man, I would rather get my keister out of bed and spend some time with the Lord. That's how important it is for me to feast with the Lord and by reading his word and by being in prayer. The apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, he says, train yourself for what church? Godliness, right? If you want to grow in godliness, there's training involved. And, and he doesn't put down, um, he doesn't put down exercise, right? He says it has its place for while bodily training is of some value. And so it does have value. One of my favorite bumper stickers, exercise, eat right, die anyway. Okay. And so, and I love that because exercise and eat right has some value, right? It's going to make you healthier and extend your days. But at the end of the day, we, we don't get out of this thing alive, right? And so that's why Paul says it does have some value, but training for godliness, godliness is a value in every way. Why? Because it holds promise in the present life, but also what church? in a life to come, right? And so at the root of discipline is, at the root of disciple is discipline and we discipline ourselves to grow to be more like Christ. Amen. By the way, let me finish here. This was my last point this morning. While we're talking about planning for the future, because Joseph comes with 
godly plans, wise plans. By the, I, want you to, I want you to consider this this morning. By the grace of God, God had revealed to Joseph and to Pharaoh the future. And Joseph said, hey, listen, he gave you this dream twice. And because he gave it to you twice, it's a sure thing. It's going to happen. I mean, what an incredible, what if, I mean, think about that. Think about what it would mean to know for sure the future. Would that change you? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. Listen, what if you knew exactly one year from now what the stock price of Google was going to be? You could make a lot of money between now and then, yes? If you knew exactly where it was going to be, you could take every dime you own and leverage that and buy that stock, and you would, by a year from now, be 100% wealthier, yes? If you don't know how to do that, come see me or see a financial advisor, and uh, yeah, they'll tell you. So anyway, that's a joke. Um, So can you imagine how wealthy you'd be? To know something for sure, 100% for sure, and yet not position yourself to take advantage. Only a really foolish person would take that kind of information and not change. So here's my final point. We have the opportunity today to plan for all of eternity. Listen, I pulled out some life points, and there's some things we can make out of this story, and I could preach more on how this story of Joseph shows God's sovereign hand in protecting Joseph, who in turn protects his brothers, which we're going to see in the coming weeks, who protects and incubates a nation so the nation of Israel grows and houses the Messiah, which reveals to us how God is true to his promises. But I think there's another theme that we should consider this morning. God has graciously given us insight into our future. Two things. Two things. You ready? Number one, none of us gets out of this thing called life alive. None of us. Apart from the return of Christ, every single one of us as a funeral service. Like that's a certain fact. If you were in the life of Coastal this week, you know just yesterday we had the unexpected loss of a very dear friend and a faithful member of this church. Went home to be with the Lord, totally unexpected. And probably 100, 200 of us sat in this room yesterday and contemplated our mortality, sad for our loss and contemplated our mortality. And I I don't know what your future, I don't know if you're promised this week. I don't know. The Lord knows. And so every one of us, we know, like we're 100% certain of our mortality, yet many of us are going through life ignoring that fact. The second thing I'm 100% sure of is that every single one of us will stand before the creator of the universe and we will give an account of our lives and we will give an account of what we have done with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're mortal and you're going to stand before God. 
And only a really, really, really foolish person would know these two things to be true and ignore it. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, And just as it is appointed for a man to die, what? There's point number one I made. 100% apart from the return of Christ, which we know he can return any time, but apart from that. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Oh, I'm sorry, let me, I'm, let me is appear once for men to die, and after that comes what, church? Two things I've said assured. And so now we have a choice to make around the gospel. And the author makes that clear. He says, Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many. It will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Yesterday, as I was leaving Graveside, for our beloved church member, I had somebody stop me. And they asked me, they said, do you, do you think that Kent was really ready to die? And I had two answers to that. I said, number one, that's not up to him. His physical death's not up to him. Before the foundations of the world, that time was set by God. It was appointed once for a man to die. So I don't know, and it wasn't up to him. But the second answer is, Yes, he was ready to die because he had prepared his soul to meet his creator by receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing we can do to be ready. So I want to encourage you, maybe you're here today and you're not yet a Christian. I want to challenge you with this. It is by the grace of God that he has not yet required you to stand before him and give an account of your rejection of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If you're not yet a Christian, it is by the grace of God that he has not yet required you to stand before him and give an account of your rejection of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let me give you what that message is so that you have an opportunity today to respond to the gospel. Because this story, Joseph, is a type pointing to the true and better Joseph, which is Jesus Christ. Joseph was as the scripture says, was pulled out of a pit. He was pulled out, of, he was falsely accused, and he bore the penalty of something he didn't do. There's a true and better Joseph. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only person to ever walk the earth who really didn't deserve the consequence of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't sin, he didn't deserve death. Jesus chose death. 
And as he hung on the cross, he bore the holy wrath of God for, his, for your sin and for my sin. He didn't have to do that. He did that because he loved you, because he wanted to have relationship with you. Joseph was falsely accused. Our Savior was falsely accused. Joseph was pulled out of a pit, and he was raised to second in command where God used Joseph to save his family and future generations. Jesus Christ is a true and better Joseph. Because after he's paid that penalty on a cross, they laid him in the ultimate pit, the pit of death. And that death and hell couldn't hold our Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised again to life, giving us hope here on earth, but also the hope of eternal life, authenticating his claims. Listen, he didn't claim to be just a good teacher. He claimed to be the very Son of God. And by rising again, he proved that to be true. And so, when we repent of our sins, meaning we call it what it is, I've rebelled against my Creator, I've been living my life my own way, and I'm going to turn from my sin, and we believe in Him. We believe that He's the Son of God, that God raised Him from the dead, so that I can, by believing in Him, the righteousness of Christ, the works of Christ are credited to me by grace through faith, so no more am I earning my way into heaven. Heaven has been earned for me by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when I believe in Him, His righteousness is gifted to me as an act of grace. When I believe that, then I am prepared to stand before the God of the universe and give an account of my life. And not a minute before. And so here's my fear. My fear is that some of you this morning are not considering your future. The scriptures are clear. It's assured. Like Joseph and his dreams, we... God has gifted us with a grace to know exactly what's going to happen. It is appointed once for a man to die, and after that judgment, and when you stand before the judgment of the Lord, if you think you're going to stand there with your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds, you've misread your Bible, at that point when you stand before God, you have to stand there perfect, which none of us can do, and so we need the perfection of Christ gifted to us by grace through faith. Some of you are foolishly ignoring your mortality. Some of you are foolishly ignoring your appointment set before the time began with your creator. Some of you are foolishly ignoring the claims of Jesus Christ. A wise man or a wise woman considers their future. And God in His grace, and God because He's true to His promises, and God because He's displaying His love and His mercy has provided for you a way of escape from His holy wrath. And that way of escape is to confess, man, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I am needy. I need saving from the penalty of my sin. And to believe Believe what? That Jesus is who he said he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. And when we do that, his perfection is gifted to us so that we know that on that day, when your appointment comes and you stand before the Lord, you stand there clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So instead of seeing sinner, the God of all creation sees his Son and he sees saint. 
perfect, forgiven child, part of the family. And so if that's you, here's my question this morning. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You are not promised another day. And so today God has gifted you with grace to hear this message. God has given you an opportunity today to be saved from the penalty of your sin. Don't put it off. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you, if the Holy Spirit's working you over, man, that's a good thing. God is alive and well, and He's working in your heart through the preached Word by the power of His Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, make today the day you get straight with God. It doesn't have to be a mystery to you anymore. Like Joseph encouraged Pharaoh in Egypt to prepare for the future, you can be prepared for the future by turning your life over to the Lord. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a simple prayer. I want you to follow along with me in your heart, in your mind. It's, it's, it's not the magic prayer. It's just an opportunity to do business with the God of the universe. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants you to be saved. Be saved today. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, and I've ignored your way. I've done things my own way. And so today, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that as sin, disobedience. Father, by your grace today, it has become clear to me. My days are numbered, and one day I'm going to stand before you. And I don't want to stand there as a sinner. I want to stand there complete and perfect in Jesus. And so today I acknowledge my sin. I repent of my sin. And I believe that you love me and you mercifully sent your son to save me. Today I believe and I receive Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Want everybody to look at me. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to make you do anything weird, okay? But here, I want to know about it. So I want you to use that tear off, okay? And in just a moment on your way out, I want you to drop that in the baskets on the way out. And one of our pastors is going to follow up with you this week. We want to talk to you about that relationship that you've started with God through Christ, okay? And for the rest of us, listen, man, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ, do we not? Uh, that our Savior is risen, our eternity is secured because God is true to His promises. Amen? So let's go out singing our God, our living hope. Let's go out singing this morning. Stand and sing with me.